Hello dear listener, uh, me and MJ took part in a radio documentary for BBC Radio 4 uh, called The New Age of Consent, uh, which we recorded over the summer and it came out in September. Uh, you can go ahead and listen to that on iPlayer or BBC Sounds, I think the app is called now. Um, and we asked if it would be okay um, if the company uh, sent, us the, uh, sent us all of our interview that we recorded because we featured in there for about 10 or 15 minutes, but um, we wanted the whole thing so we could put it out as a podcast. So that's what this is. Um, uh, it's a really nice introduction to some of the stuff that we talk about. Um, if you are a regular listener, then a lot of this will be familiar to you, except there are kind of fewer ers and ums, and we kind of sound a bit more professional, and um, we're in a really nice studio, so it sounds nice. Um, so if you have any uh, friends who you think uh, you'd like to convince them to like our podcast, then this would be a great introduction, uh, so do send that on to them. So thank you so much to Whistledown Productions for sending us this audio, um, and do check out the documentary that they made, which is really excellent, presented by Jamila Jalil, uh, called The New Age of Consent, and that was on BBC Radio 4, uh, which you can go and check out online now. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Meg John. And I'm Justin. And collectively, we are the Meg John and Justin podcast. That's right. We also write together. We write the book Enjoy Sex How, When, and If You Want To. Yeah, so we're sex and relationship writers and educators. Um, but for me, uh, my focus is on writing self help around sex, gender, and relationships. I've also written queer, a graphic history, and rewriting the rules. Uh, my background is uh, I'm a sex and relationships educator working with young people, uh, but also old people now. Um, that's in schools, but also at my own website, bishuk.com. And also do um, I help teachers with their sex and relationships education and trying to improve sex and relationships education in this country. Yeah, so we often talk about how we live in a non-consensual society and how it's really hard to do consent in terms of sex when we're not doing it in our wider relationships mm. or in wider society. Mm. So I guess like wider society treats people as if some people are less valuable than others in all kinds of ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But actually one of the things that I think is interesting when we talk about this kind of stuff is that often we're better at consent with sex than we are with other aspects of society mm -hmm. and other aspects of our day-to-day -day lives like the way that we might be treated in our workplaces or in school or yeah, just like going just about our business and everyday relationships like we're often trying to get somebody to do what we want them to do on the weekend mm. or get somebody to go to the pub with us or have another drink or mm. you know there's um we're just really swimming in a soup of non-consent yeah yeah, I mean, going to the pub is a brilliant example of that. And that's something I've tried to do as somebody who really enjoys going to the pub mm -hmm. is to is to kind of ask more open questions about how people might feel about having another drink yep. and not doing that thing of like raising an eyebrow if somebody wants a soft drink or if somebody's sitting out or, yep. or and I kind of stop myself from saying, you know, are you sure you don't want another one kind of thing? Yeah. And, um, it kind of, I think it kind of comes from a place of politeness and giving people the opportunity to say yes, but actually what it's really doing is putting pressure on people to drink more than they want to. Exactly. So it shows how um, consent is always relational between people, mm. right? So um, somebody can feel that slight pressure and sort of go along with it. But if you ask those questions in a different way, like you say, more openly, mm. then somebody feels more permission to say, yeah, non-alcoholic drink or actually yeah, I might make a move now or whatever. Um, and I guess it brings up the thing about um, there's been some really good research um, 
by Celia Kitzinger and some others around whether people actually say no. Because yeah. we often hear with consent uh, education, like, oh, say no, learn how to say no, mm. assertively say no. But their studies found that people don't tend to say the word no mm. when they're refusing sex or when they're refusing social encounters, like mm. another drink in a pub. Mm. They will say something like, oh, I'm a bit tired or I mm. need to go or, you know, maybe. And so we can learn a lot from everyday encounters like that about how to hear those as a no. It's like if it's not an enthusiastic yes, then assume it's a no. And that's one of the problems with it, isn't it? Mm. Because actually that I think that same research also demonstrated that people did understand that those yeah. things that were not a no did actually in fact mean a no. So people understand what no looks like even when it's not articulated. Yeah. So that's one of the problems when we say yes means yes and no means no. Because if we say um, that you just have to say no to sexual to any sexual encounter or sexual activity that you don't want, mm. then that gives some people the license just to do whatever they want to until they hear Unless until they, they hear no. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So mm. there's an awful lot of non-consensual stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing about the pub there as well is that that's a good example of where the cultural script comes in. Yes. Because, you know, what you're supposed to do in a pub um, is, I guess this is also true for sex and kind of everything as well, really, is mm. that you're meant to just do more. There's yeah. always an escalator. Better if you stay longer, yeah. have more to drink, you know, have a shot with the beer or whatever. It's, yeah, yeah more and more. And that's kind of played mm. out in the relational way that you were talking about. But it's also played out in the kind of we're all doing this because this is what you're meant to do. Yeah. And so we get to the idea of that often when it comes to um, consent, we're stuck between... Uh, the messages that we, that we get which are telling us what it is that we should be doing mm-hmm. rather than really trying to tune into what it is that we actually want to do and that's yeah. the really tricky thing to do and like if you say well the goal in sex is often seen as like have an orgasm or have penetrative sex similarly there's like goals in that cultural script of the pub of like to get drunk yeah. or to be a certain way and yeah if we can take a more present focused approach where we're just trying to be with the experience and tune into what we want the next part of that experience to be if at all yeah that's a better approach and to give everyone the space to for that to be the experience that they want it to be for themselves yeah exactly so why is it difficult for people to say no well i think um it's Differently difficult for different people. So Mm. you could say that some people are socialised to really not ever say no to things. And, you know, women in particular in our culture Mm. are often socialised that they should be enthusiastic about everything because they're socialised to be more for other people than for themselves, basically. Mm. So they're supposed to be all about keeping other people happy. Yeah. So it's harder when there's a difference in power in a relationship and there often is a difference in power in a relationship and often that's to do with our identity, right? Right. Because some identities are given status and others stigma. So, for example, people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. um, people of colour, it might be harder for some people to say no in those situations because there might be more at stake in the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. If you there's a if there's a power imbalance in a relationship where one person's poorer than the other, or mm-hmm. one person's another person's carer, I think all those things make it much more difficult. Mm. Um, and you know, difficult even to tune into what what feels okay and what doesn't because you might feel obliged to that person in some way. Mm. Mm-hmm. And do mm. we think that saying the word no is important and powerful in sexual situations that it should be kind of possible to do so, or that that will at least stop things happening i mean i guess it's difficult because um it might feel like a huge rejection it might not feel like i mean what is the no about is the no about me as a person or is it is it about the whole situation or is it about a particular thing i'm doing at that point and because people are so not used to doing it i think it would it could feel quite out of the blue or quite 
difficult. I mean, I suppose in our kind of education around this, we're much more about like, what about making this ongoing consent throughout the encounter so that you should be constantly checking in with the other person verbally and or Mm. non-verbally to to see where they're at. So Mm. you wouldn't, in a way, hopefully get to a point where it's suddenly a big... I mean, there might be something you do that's kind of an ouch or something for someone and then, yeah, Mm. definitely. Um, But usually that would come in that form. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing we kind of say, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. we're saying that we should always be aiming for consent rather than one person doing a thing to another. Yeah, and we really shouldn't be anywhere near the point where somebody's having to say no. Because if we're mm. checking in with all of the available information that we get from another person about whether this is something that they're into or not, yeah, um, or even just comfortable with, then we shouldn't. We should really be able to tell. Yeah, uh, right. Before and ideally, they get to the point of saying yeah, no. there'd probably be some kind of conversation about what you're going to do in advance, and if you are then going to massively deviate from that. I mean, this is why I think we can learn from a lot of people who do kink and BDSM, where there's a real framework to play or to sex, which Mm. is kind of starts with a negotiation. You wouldn't tend to put something on the table halfway through that you hadn't already discussed. Mm. Um, You would also have some kind of sense of like a safe word or a scale of one to ten. So you could check with Mm. if it was more you doing something to something, somebody else, then you would have a way of checking in with them where they were at. Mm. So you knew how much more or less, you know, um, there's that real sense with kink of there's the before bit, the during bit and the after bit. Yeah. And that it's also OK to be taking breaks all the way through. Mm-hmm. And it's about having to completely rewrite different. Well, it's about having to rewrite scripts about sex generally or what intimacy is between yeah. people. Yeah. Because we have this script for, you know, like uh, we would say like heteronormative scripts, you know, the, the, the sex that straight couples are expected yes. to do. And that's always kind of, you know, kissing clothes off foreplay in inverted commas yeah. and then penis and vagina sex in one or two or three different positions and then mm-hmm. there's orgasms and that's it yeah. you know we're not su- supposed to deviate from that script and everything else is kind of weird and not normal and not you mm. know not okay that's the message that we kind of get but actually learning from bdsm uh it, it can be quite useful there even if it's not something even if bdsm is not something that we actually want to do yeah uh because it's really important to be chopping the script up and thinking about okay yeah. how we're going to do this and in what order and who's mm. going to do what when and how and, and might there be other things that people enjoy you know as if there's that sense of that script being all powerful then probably a lot of people end up doing something they don't actually want to do that much or totally. in a way they don't really want to do it Mm. Um, because they feel like they have to follow that script in order to be normal. Well, that's the thing we talk about quite a lot in our book and just generally in in the stuff we talk about is that, for example, penis and vagina sex really doesn't do it for a lot of people. Yeah. Right? You mm-hmm. know, half of people report having a sexual problem. Yeah. We think that often that is because of the huge pressure put on yeah. for people with penises to get a hard on and to complete the sexual act in a way that they're told that they have to Mm -hmm. and the expectation that people with vaginas will enjoy that kind of sex and actually that's not true no a lot of people just you know simply can't get pleasure or orgasm from that way so why don't we put a whole load of other stuff on the table and then again it's more consensual because you're choosing from a multitude of options rather than feeling like you have to do this one thing exactly because real consent is about giving people more than just two options yes (laughs) definitely I mean, if we have like a multiple, if we got, if if somebody wanted, asked us whether we wanted to have tea or not and gave us a huge long list of different teas that are available to us, then <laughs> that's more consensual.
sure, right? Yeah. It yeah. might take us longer to work out what kind of tea we want, which might be annoying for everyone. Or quite a pleasurable process because to look Maybe. through all it and just imagine what would this tea be like? What would that tea be like? But I think that's the thing about consent yeah. that probably I think people find a bit off-putting is that it does take ages to do it properly yeah. sometimes. You yeah. know, to really like to be having that kind of conversation and to be having and to have that space to work out what you want can take a long time, particularly if we're not practiced and if we're not used to doing that that's right but i think that it can also be incredibly hot you know i think it can Mm. make sex sexier as well because if you spend some time getting to know what somebody might be into maybe messaging about it maybe exploring it by looking at different alternatives in terms of erotic or porn it's like that can be a really exciting process of getting to know what the options are and what turns you on for real So, yeah, let's talk about how people hear any kind of somebody saying no or saying Mm. that they don't want to do something. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's one of those words that because we don't really hear it very much, it could be quite a shock to actually hear it, I suppose. Mm. And, you know, it's difficult to know what that no actually refers to and what it means. Yeah, but so I think people need to be clearer ideally about sort of what they're saying they don't want. But Mm. again... I think part of the problem is that we kind of we've been taught really to see our the things that we're into sexually as this important part of our identity. Mm. So it can be that if somebody says no, that's that's not for me, or or just you know we get the sense that it's not for them, we can feel like oh that's something wrong with us. Mm. There's something bad about it, and there's so much shame about sex already, and especially if what we're into is one of the things that's not part of the usual cultural script, mm. there can be a lot at stake. So again, it's about, I think it's about normalizing that all of this sexual diversity is fine. And if this particular person doesn't happen to mesh with us on this, that's nobody's, it's not about you're to blame for that or I'm to blame for that. It's just, Mm. it's not in our overlap. You know, we see it like a Venn diagram, don't we, with like Mm. an overlap. And it's about finding what's in our particular overlap with any two or more people. I mean, I guess it might be, I don't know whether this is what you're referring to, but I guess it's also we're talking about the idea of sex positivity as well. Mm. You know, we're kind of living in a, in, in an age where there is this kind of idea of sex positiveness, yeah. sex positivity, <laughs> sex positivity um, and that kind of implies that we should all be up for everything all the time. Yeah, which is, uh, I mean, we hate that, don't we? Yeah. Um, but it kind of replaces the other um, thing, which is sex negativity, which is just as bad. They're yeah. both giving these very narrow uh, ideas about what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And so it's much better, we think, to when giving advice to be somewhere in the in the middle of that and Mm. to be talking about well some people are more interested in sex generally than others some people are more interested in different kinds of sex than others for some it's about there needs to be a like a a connection or a level of intimacy Mm -hmm. Uh, and for some people don't like sex at all and that's completely fine as well some people prefer it to always be a fairly casual thing some people want it to be really deep Mm. yeah it does different things for different people so it's about really encouraging people to explore their relationship to sex and then communicate about that to another person Mm. Um, again the more we can normalise sexual diversity and make it like everything is fine then the more people might feel able to do that and not feel you know that they themselves have been rejected as a person Mm. if if a certain person isn't into doing that particular thing with them Mm. so as well as the cultural script that we have around what it is that we should be doing in any given situation and telling us that we should be doing something this way and that being making it more difficult for us to think about what it is we might actually want Mm -hmm. sometimes like into it like in a relationship with somebody or any kind of relationship we have those 
a similar kind of script can be played out for ourselves, can't it? That we just kind of, you yeah. know, we always do things in this way. So this is the way that we should do That's them. That's right. We might escape from, for example, the cultural script of like the heteronormative one you said about penis and vagina sex. For example, if we're in a same sex relationship, we might escape from that, but still have a sense of like a hierarchy of like penetration is better than oral, which is better than manual or something. Or yeah. that manual sex where you touch each other is better than if you're just touching yourself or, you know, these hierarchies come into play. Mm. And certainly we're quite likely in a sexual relationship to have a sense that a certain amount of sex is important it should last a certain time mm -hmm. etc and i think you know that's it all needs to be questioned because if we don't if we don't feel like it's absolutely okay to say we don't want sex or we don't want sex of a certain kind you know for now or even forever mm. then we can't be consensual we have to know that that would be okay exactly and it can't be consensual if we're only if we keep kind of doing the same thing because that's having that's that we are we keep doing the same thing with the people that we were previously yeah and we're always changing yes so you know uh, our bodies are always different every time we have sex there's something different about you know how we're feeling that day or mm. a particular kind of sensitivity we have around a particular area but also what different touch might mean for us at any given point yeah our bodies and our needs and our wants are constantly changing so we should always treat the person in front of us or the people in front of us or ourselves of its solo sex as kind of a new body to explore yeah. and that also keeps it really exciting as well exactly um, but I think we encourage to sort of be much more like okay this relationship should have this kind of sex you know I've learned how this body works therefore I'm going to do the same thing to this body every single time yeah. and we're sold the message in a lot of really bad sex advice that that should be super hot forever and ever which is really not going to be no 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 <laughs> it's about being present with each other right yeah. and you know if we treat sex as um, if we treat sex with another person as being like the first time we had sex with that person, yeah. then it could be more consensual because we're curious about what's going on for them and us and mm -hmm. really slowing down and noticing what's going on for in that interaction. But also it's hotter. Yeah. You know, well. because we're paying attention to all of that and it can be as hot as it was and as exploratory and fun as the first time. Exactly. And that kind of newness is a big part of what can make sex really hot. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How do we deal with um that feeling of that something isn't okay during a during sexual activity like maybe we're having like really difficult feelings or maybe even being triggered by yeah, something i guess that suddenly that can happen that mm. you don't know necessarily what is going to be a trigger until you're in the middle of something and it's happening mm. i mean again i think the concept of ongoing consent is helpful with this because if the idea is you're going to constantly be checking in with each other whether that's more there's one person doing and more and one person done to so it's kind of more on the top slight side of things mm. the person with the more of the power in the situation who's doing the checking in or whether it's a more mutual scene mm -hmm. where you're checking in with each other mutually then hopefully you're going to notice that one or other of you is mm. going to that kind of place and hopefully again it's going to be quite normalized between you that it would be fine to be oh hang on a minute can we just pause because i think something's going on here that doesn't feel great exactly but i think before we go mm. much further with this like that just to say that this checking in isn't like is this okay yeah is this okay? how's this like <laughs> yeah. literally that yeah. frequently yeah we're looking at all of the different all of the communication that is available to us during sex yes. so sometimes it could be short words or phrases but yeah. it could be how somebody's breathing it could be mm. eye contact it could be paying attention to whether 
to how their body reacts. So yeah. Is their body flinching or tensing up? Is it relaxed? Are they moving and towards again, or away we, from you? We may want a meta communication before we ever have sex with someone. And this is someone I guess we're having sex with more than once. It would be really helpful to talk with them about, yeah, how will I know? What do, what do you tend to do and your what does your body tend to do when you're not feeling okay about something? Because for some people going still might be a sign something's really wrong. Or for yeah. other people, it might be a really good sign that they're going into a kind of plateau or something. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or somebody could have their eyes closed and have a really anguished face and that might be, mean yeah. that somebody's having an amazing time and for yeah. another person that might mean they're having a dreadful time. Exactly. So it can be really difficult kind of figuring out. Yeah. The other thing which makes this difficult as well is that if people are getting triggered, there are lots of different responses that people yeah. have when they're being triggered. Yeah. So the like the we fight, talked about this. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. fawn or kind of placate is the last one. Yeah. So yeah, some people really do go into a pleasing mode mm-hmm. when the when that happens. So again, it might look like somebody's saying, Yes, this is okay mm-hmm. when actually they're really not in an okay place. So yep. again, talking about it beforehand, knowing where somebody tends to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're not 100% sure, you know, stop. It's always better to err on the side of caution. Yeah, we should be aiming for consent and not aiming for more sex. Yes. Like the aim of any encounter is not to do the thing, it's it's for consent to happen. Yeah, and I think if you can flip it like that, I think that culturally... There is this sense that the aim is is to get sex, right, or to get more sex. And if we can flip it, so actually our aim is consent, and then it's a massive victory if we've had a really consensual encounter that hasn't ended in sex, you know, then then we're on to a winner. Exactly. Mm. Do you know about our zine, Make Your Own Sex Manual? It helps you to write your own sex manual or menu of the kinds of sexual, erotic, or sensual activities that you enjoy, as well as helping you to think about how you'd like to communicate about sex. Don't worry if you're not sure what you like, this zine also helps you to figure that out. The idea with our zines is that you're the expert on your own experience, so it's about filling in when you're at in response to our questions and prompts. Different things work for different people when it comes to sex, so no sex manual could ever work for anyone, except this one. It's just £2.50 for an instant download, and you can buy it from our website, megjohnandjustin.com forward slash publications. So what about this uncomfortable moment? So somebody has put the pause button on or we're feeling like maybe things aren't okay here. Like, how do we deal with that? It's really tricky, isn't it? Because there can be a lot of difficult feelings, like Mm. all kind of happening at the same time. And a lot of difficult thoughts, I guess, as well about rejection and about am I not good enough at this and have I done something wrong? I feel like the the solution is is this thing we talk about a lot, which is staying with feelings. Mm. So I guess we have this, we have a lot of ideas in our culture that are well documented in the Pixar movie, Inside Out, (laughs) that, you know, certain emotions, we love that film, film. Um, that certain emotions are good and certain emotions are not good. So we often see like fear, anger, sadness, for example, as bad emotions. Mm. And so that also happens in sex that we see like certain emotions have their place in sex. We want the joy, we want excitement, we want um, to feel hot, etc. Mm-hmm. What we don't want is any fear or sadness or anger or mm. anything to come into it. Well, actually, if we can welcome all feelings into erotic encounters mm. as well as into our daily lives mm. and say, OK, you know, this feeling has showed up, that's fine. And I think, you know, again, sort of people into kink or people who are into things like urban tantra will talk a lot about, you know, it's it's great if somebody has a big cry 
Mm. You know, that's that can be really great if what mm. the sex has done and unleash someone to have a really good big cry rather than an orgasm. What's wrong with that? You know, that person might have really needed that. If it's a bit fierce sort of angry sex, that could be okay as but well. There are definitely going to be times when somebody having a big cry has been a result of somebody doing yes. things that are shitty and yeah, uh, or well, that I trig- probably not swear. <laughs> <laughs> but there probably are. But there probably there probably will be times when someone having a big cry is something we really don't want to be aiming for because we mm. don't want to have done something that is that is triggering that might will yeah. be triggering someone or is non consensual. Um, but it's I think it's just about being able to have a time out and for that to be okay. You know, mm. we have this idea that of successful in inverted commas sex starts from point A and gets to point B and it's like mm. a linear kind of trajectory of you know, uh, of pleasure and we we end and with mutual satisfaction and actually having a stop and having a pause and like mm. just going and going to the loo for a, for a minute, yeah. you know, going to make a cup of tea or just like, I just need to like, just, mm. you know, you know, pause this for a second and for us to be able to sit with our own feelings, whatever they are, yeah. and then either come back to sex or come back to a conversation about what's going on mm-hmm. or just to be able to, bring that space in and bring that spaciousness into any kind of sexual encounter that we have. I mean, you know, to a lot of people that will sound pretty radical, but yeah. we do this with other things. Yeah. You know, we call like timeouts with other things. If like we're, it's quite sensible, for example, if we're having a difficult conversation with somebody in a yeah. relationship, to be like, oh, I really can't do this right now. Can, you know, how about a cup of tea or, yeah. you know, can we can we just go for a walk around the block or go outside for a fag break or something yeah. and, like, and then we'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. Like, or a difficult work task. Similarly, yeah. we do that kind of thing with, and I think this is important here too. And also recognising that if big feelings do come up, they're likely to be about the encounter we're having and also probably the other things that have been triggered by that. Yeah. So, you know, maybe not to jump straight to the, oh, I'm a terrible person who's done a terrible thing. Yeah. If we don't really, you know, I mean, obviously sometimes people do do terrible things and then they should yeah. definitely take responsibility for that. But if it's more like, oh, you know, you did something the person actually had asked for, but they've gone to a place that surprised probably Mm-hmm. you know both of you or all of you yep. then you know it may well be about other stuff for them and actually if you can deal with that kindly then there's a real potential for healing there definitely yeah so great if you can because there's that thing of we as we say we um our bodies are different every time and we're the idea that we are constantly changing different yeah. things mean different things for us different times but also something coming up during sex might have triggered something that happened to us in the past yeah you know, and sexual assault and rape is very common, and that's mm. something that a lot of people may have had in previous sexual encounters. Well, or so many people have had some kind of experience along those lines, yeah. and yeah, and it might change over time as well. I've definitely had times where I've been like, "This is the thing that's a hundred percent safe for me. It's going to mm-hmm. always be a good thing." And yeah. then I had a moment where it flipped and it stopped being, mm. and it was because you know something just landed with me that I hadn't quite got about why I liked that thing before, and it turned into something I didn't like anymore. And yeah, yeah it's so important in those moments that you can be kind to yourself and anyone around can be kind yeah and you know sort of take time to know okay what's going on here and mm. what, what's the best thing to do about it yeah mm. Mm. well we want to talk about me too and the impact it's had i guess whenever we talk about anything we always ask like what's it opened up and what's it closed <laughs> down and i think that's a really good approach to me too mm-hmm. because it has done both those things what do you think yeah i think it's not just about consent i think it's a lot about power yeah um i guess one of the things that it hasn't really been able to 
talk about or kind of speak to is that there are lots of different things that give people power and lots of different things that that rob people of power that, you know, yeah. that rob people of status and that stigmatize and oppress people so mm. for example with a lot of the me too stuff it would have been great to uh, hear more from people who are disabled for yes. example yeah um and to be able to look at um the to look at the the different things that uh the different oppressions that are all in play at any given exactly. time in these things i mean it's focused a lot on gender and certainly a lot of non-consensual sexual situations are gendered and at the same time we do also need to look at things like disability class race and yeah. you know me too actually started with black feminism yeah. uh, which often gets kind of eroded from the picture yeah. um so i think it's really important to take the properly intersectional approach to power mm. and think about in any encounter like what are the what are the ways in which we have more power and less power than the other person? How might we navigate that to make sure that the situation is as consensual as possible? Mm. I mean, we were talking about consent and we've both done that separately and together for many years. Yeah, um, many people have been. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm not really... I don't know, maybe we'll disagree on this. Yeah, go on. But maybe uh, I'm not sensing that there's great very much more nuance in the kind of the the public narratives around consent at the minute i'm not really no i really like i guess it. i like that it has got me too has got people talking a bit about power and consent um you know certainly it started with a lot of situations where somebody was in a position of a lot of power against somebody mm. else um, and was getting away with non-consensual stuff um i just think also it's great that it's got people sharing their stories of just how common mm. non-consensual experiences are and yeah. the kind of diverse range of non-consensual experiences that people have had and the impact it has on them. I think mm. sharing those stories is gold. It's like, yeah, I've been part of a lot of those conversations and it's just been so healing for a lot of people. Yeah. And at the same time, I think it's really hard to get a long way past the this particular perpetrator. Let's call out this particular person mm. and they shouldn't work again or whatever. We're, we're going to yeah. get rid of them from our community and then we'll be okay rather than recognising we are all part of this. Mm. Like we're steeped in non-consensual culture so we all do non-consensual stuff and even if we haven't done something that's as explicitly a perpetration of kind of sexual misconduct mm. we've probably done it in other areas of our lives, mm -hmm. you know, and certainly we're part of a culture that enables that to happen. Definitely. So I think that it's really important that everyone gets in touch with their experiences where they've been a survivor of these things, but also their experiences where they've either been a perpetrator of them or at least a, a kind of bystander or an apologist mm. of, of that kind of stuff. And I think it's had a huge impact on like social media. I know it's had, mm. you know, there are many, many Facebook discussions that I've seen and I know that talking to to friends and other colleagues that it has had like a big impact on that kind of level. Yeah. I just think that we could be having... Um, I guess what this program is trying to do, you, yeah. know, you know, is trying to have like a, a properly nuanced um, uh, interrogation of consent and yeah. uh, and power, and those two things really have to be spoken about a lot. Yeah, a and lot and and in terms of all of us, rather than it being that simple, okay, let's just get rid of this one individual. Yeah. You know, it's really a tendency in our culture to see things on an individual level, like the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Let's get rid of the bad guy, and then it will all be okay. Yeah. Rather than recognizing that complexity of how we're all in a non-consensual culture so we're all going to behave in oppressive ways and how this kind of interpersonal 
um, non-consent relates to wider issues where we treat different people and different bodies and different labour as having different values. Mm. So, like, let's link it to Black Lives Matter. Let's mm-hmm. li- link it to the moral panic around trans that we're having at the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's link it to how disabled people are being treated. You know, let's link all it to of sex those worker rights. Sex worker rights yeah. for sure. So I guess there's been some specific stories in the media which have like moved the Me Too conversation from the kind of very explicit, uh, very explicit kind of sexual abuse, sexual assault to more like sexual encounters where non-consensual mm. stuff has happened. Mm. And a couple of examples would be the cat person story that was in The New Yorker, was it? Yeah, that was a work of fiction, wasn't it, that came out um, based on, I think based on experience, but mm. yeah, um, yeah, a fictionalised account of a kind of non-consensual sexual interaction. And then the Aziz Ansari story, again, um, the person who'd been in that situation with him had written their story of yep. what had happened in that encounter, which was non-consensual encounter. And there's been a few others along those lines. So can we ask like think a bit about what do those open up and close down those kind of stories well just they were interesting from like a cultural perspective because people were kind of talking about consent in that nuanced way that we were kind of that we're kind of craving you know mm. that people are talking about um with the aziz and zara story and with the cat person story that you know this is bad sex that yeah. people have like on a pretty regular basis you know yeah and feeling like they have to do it and the feeling like they're not really given an out yeah. and the feeling that there is an escalator and that one thing always leads to another and that if you, you have consent to, to one it. thing, then you consented to everything else. Yeah. And there is that, that was something that was really coming out in certainly in like social media, I think, mm-hmm. in the conversations that were being had around it. And I think it's really interesting that people are saying, you know, yeah, this happens to me all the time. Yeah. And... Um, I think that really, really struck a chord for people. I think that was super interesting. So that's really helpful about those kinds of stories. Mm. Um, I think for me, one of the things that isn't so helpful is starting to think about, you know, which kind of people get accused of non-consent or get, you know, those stories written about Mm. them. Um, there was quite a lot of fat phobia in the mm-hmm. uh, the cat person story. Yeah. Uh, we can think about as well race in terms of mm-hmm. who gets called out. Um, it it feels like it's important to think about um, how much we valorize in our culture certain kinds of like often attract so called attractive straight white mm. guys who will often get away with things or mm. you know the Christian Greys in fiction, <laughs> the kind of, you know, even kind of serial killers in fiction, you know, seen as kind of the, the people who do incredibly non consensual stuff, seen mm. as these kind of incredibly attractive figures and loads of people wanting them. Yeah. Um I think we need to really think about that, like yeah. how much culture is kind of perpetuating the idea that some of, some people with a whole load of power are fine mm. if they're seen as culturally attractive, mm. uh, for example. I think the other thing that is is there was in both those things, again, was that cultural script of sex is good and we should all be doing it, you know, mm. that thing of, and that this is what it is you're supposed to do. And um and in always in this order, yeah, and that we're never meant to deviate from it. And I think that's one of the things. I don't know whether this really opened up or, or, or closed down the in the conversations that you know, that really interrogating our stories and think, well, we could be doing this differently, couldn't we? Like, yeah. why can't we just have a pause? And mm-hmm. why, you know, why can't we acknowledge our own power? Yeah. And why can't we why can't we ask open questions or give yeah. people lots of different options and say it's okay if we don't 
do anything now. And why is it seen as kind of, yeah, important for men to like almost be this performing, you know, machine mm. doing these things to another person rather than it being a mutual encounter? I mean, that's the thing mm. we've not really talked about yet, masculinity and the messages mm. that men get, that they're meant to be intersex and they're meant to be the people taking the lead and they're meant yeah. to be... Um, that, as you say, that Christian Grey type character who, yeah. you know, telepathically understands the needs of the other person and just does sex to another person correctly. And there's this idea of the male sexual drive as well, that men are supposed to be able to not be able to help it and that that's something somehow sexy if mm-hmm. they can't help it and have to keep going. And it's like, no, and we need to get rid of that exactly. idea. Exactly. And that yeah. broader nonsense idea as well, that men want sex and women want love yeah. and men only ever want to have sex with women, etc. Et yes. Yeah. There's a lot of problematic... Um, cultural scripts that we have that we really need to be interrogating and putting to bed definitely so to speak yeah (laughs) yeah and and with femininity that idea of having to be pleasing to others and desirable Mm -hmm. i think is a big part of the picture because it's really hard to be consensual if you're trying to tune into another person rather than yourself well exactly simone de beauvoir nailed this many many years ago oh simone yeah So what about sex education and sort of young people, Justin? Well, where do I start with that? I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, is the great consent sex education these days? Well, sadly, what young people are saying is that where there is consent ex- education in their sex and relationships education, it does boil down to yes means yes and no means no. Ugh, and yeah. that you should just say no. And and young people in, in some research I can we conducted for one of my projects were saying, you know, they tell us how they tell us that we should say no, but not how that, that how difficult mm. that is mm. or how that takes a lot of confidence to do that. Um so I think it is a little bit too there's not enough of it and it's not done in a way which really allows for young people to kind of grapple the complexities of what mm. happens in real life and not just in terms of sex. I mean, one of the ways that uh, we talk about consent as a sex education model is by learning consent through handshakes. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we can do in a classroom. And that's something that we've written about and that yeah. I include in my sex education. So I think it doesn't. it's not really preparing young people for sex in the way that they want. Yeah. But also people learn about sex from lots of different sources as well not just from school yeah. even though they would pref- young people would prefer to learn about sex from school mm-hmm. i think one thing i really noticed when i was analyzing sex advice for um the mediated intimacy project i did with um rosalind gill and laura harvey we we looked at sex advice for different ages and what was really telling was that consent was there a lot for sex advice up to the age of 18 mm. and then it vanished mm. and it's like you look in sex advice aimed at adults and um, there was less than one percent of the books devoted to consent mm. that I that I looked at, and similarly with with websites as well. Mm. Hardly any mention of consent as something you would communicate about with a partner, um, as, or as a topic of communication, um, or a reason it? that you would do communication. Mm. Um, There's just hardly any of it. So it's like a, this assumption that as soon as you're an adult, you're this free agent who can easily tap into what they want sexually and communicate it to another person and, and that norm, normal kind of sex in inverted mm. commas would just automatically be consensual and there's no need to, to to sort of have any conversation about consent. Well, like the corollary of that, and I think this is something which is kind of implied by a lot of sex education, is that you need to do it within a relationship and then everything will be fine. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And we uh, know it's not. You know, no. that's where a lot of non-consensual sex happens, especially yeah. because sex advice books and perhaps sex education as well are encouraging people that they must be sexual in relationships, often mm. to a certain amount and with a certain kind of sex. And, really hard to be consensual under those circumstances. And particularly when it's not also not unpacking those gender expectations that we have. Oh, yeah. Quite the opposite. I read in some sex advice books, um, advice to women to sometimes lie like a log and let a guy have sex with them because if they didn't want to lose the relationship also let him do anything he wants at the moment of orgasm was one of them also have sex once a week even if you don't feel like it mm -hmm. was was one of them does that surprise sex thing as well as oh, surprise uh, yeah. him or you surprise each other with yeah. sex like at the end of the day you just kind of leap on them and do a thing <laughs> without having any kind of conversation no, about no, it no, no, no. it's unreal <laughs> and yeah really disturbing mm. So I guess if we're in a, a culture that isn't very consensual around mm. a lot of things, often what happens if somebody does manage to say no to something or a phrase that is equivalent to that, yeah. um, that won't get heard by the other. It will be like, it makes me think of uh, Mrs. Doyle from Father Ted. Go on, go on, go yeah. on. Ah, you will have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly yeah. like that. And that's yeah. how it is for a lot of people. And it's really we should be changing the conversation so it's instead of doing that instead of pressuring someone to do a thing we should be giving people as many outs as possible yeah so asking open questions giving people more than just two choices if we hear something that sounds like a maybe or i'm not sure we assume that's a no yeah and then we give people time as well mm -hmm. to figure out what it is that they want because if people haven't been asked what they want it can be very difficult to actually say well i'm okay well i'm interested in this this and this yeah uh, so that might take time over a series of conversations over text or something for example mm -hmm. um, but I guess in those situations where if somebody really isn't hearing somebody's no the first time then as soon as that happens then mm. a sexual assault or rape or another sexual offence is happening Yes, at, as soon as that happens yeah. and the other person then if they still have the 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 energy and the and the the ability to keep saying no if you know mm. then that's um you know that can be very difficult to do you know yeah. somebody, it's hard enough for somebody to articulate this once let alone exactly and also often people will go into a trauma response at that point mm. and you know maybe to survive the encounter we'll go ahead with it and i think that has to be understood in the sense of you know we live in this culture that is a really understandable reaction and mm. it doesn't mean that something bad hasn't happened you know mm. that has still been a crime yeah absolutely um, yeah if the person carried on and we should say here as well mm. that it's really clear in the cps guidance yeah here in, in the uk that um people don't have to say no verbally in mm. order for to 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 say that they didn't want the sex to occur you know mm. no can be read in and all the ways that we've talked about you know yes. our bodies say no in the way that we can sometimes shut down or go along with something mm -hmm. in order to get the experience over and done with i mean the sad fact is that people really worry about what will happen if they say no sometimes yes yeah, that something worse could happen than what's already happening. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, really what we have to do is change the culture because at the moment it's far too individualised. You know, that's what we get in terms of rape cases, all this mm. kind of victim blame, all this kind of like, could it be that person's individual responsibility? No, you know, the mm. rape culture is what's responsible. And yeah. what we really need to be doing is bringing kids up from a young age to be aware of their bodies and their feelings mm -hmm. and allowed to you know say no particularly to kind of contact that they don't want yeah. um you know and 
um, yeah, just not not sort of forcing kids to do a bunch of stuff that they don't want to do, but teach, teaching them through maybe through things like the food they eat or through mm-hmm. physical contact with adults that it is okay to say mm. where their boundaries are. We're also just changing the culture now to yeah. people who are you know in having sex now. You know, yeah. you know, if you're in any doubt whatsoever, just stop. And check in. And it's doable. And I think, you know, again, if you're if you and your friendship group or your social network can kind of like get into having these conversations and thinking mm. about doing things differently, that for me was a really key part of it was like in one group where we were doing walks together, you know, on a number of weekends, we just developed this really consensual way of doing it, of checking in like beforehand, was everyone still in a place that they wanted to go on this walk? Mm-hmm. You know, never shaming anyone who wasn't up for it that time. It's fine mm. to miss one. Uh, while we were on the walk, checking in with people, making sure we walked at the kind of pace of the slowest person, not the fastest person. Mm. Um, it's fine to walk and not not talk if you don't want to. It was just this wonderful kind of experience of like how to make that consensual, yeah. which like then fed into every other aspect of our lives. So I think, you know, trying to get the focus off individuals, like not teach, it's not about teaching individuals to say no or how to be assertive because that puts the blame in the wrong place. It mm. should be on culture and the community. Community, mm. if we can do that in a relational way together to learn these different cultures and create these different cultures, that's the way forward. I mean, the, the only individuals that we need to be getting through to are the people who aren't hearing those. Yes. You know, that's the, you know, yeah. let's, put the, let's put the emphasis on them, yes. not the people who need to be saying no. Exactly. Yeah, and totally. that's the real problem with this entire area is yeah. that the focus is generally on the survivor yeah. rather than on the perpetrator. Yeah. So we really need to place our, our focus there. I think the thing that often people don't really realise, I mean, I know this because I've, you know, when I'm teaching young people about this and through my website to mm. young people, I write about the law and sex quite a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, under the Sexual Offences Act of 2003, there are an awful lot of sexual offences that can be committed through non-consent. Yeah. And they that doesn't even have to um, involve touch at all. Mm. People could be committing really very serious offences uh, with serious repercussions. There, are, there are, you know, if um, mm. and if you wanted, you could go and look at all of these. Yeah. So there is this kind of focus on rape as this kind of very particular act, and it is a very like legalistically, it's mm. a very particular thing. Yeah. But there are a whole other series of sexual offences which are which can carry the same punishment and the mm-hmm. same have the same kind of severity of sentencing and i think that's something that people kind of need to realize that yeah. there are an awful lot of things that we can be doing that are actually criminal offenses yeah and that's if it's non-consensual like yeah. so a number of non-consensual sexual acts that we could be doing yeah i think that's really important and that you know this the whole conversation about consent happens across all well we've said not just all kinds of sex but actually all kinds of encounter mm. that even though it's not illegal to do non-consensual you know being in the pub or <laughs> social occasions <laughs> actually you know you're still damaging somebody if you're treating them non-consensually yeah. and you're also making it harder for them to be consensual in sexual situations when when they're not you're not being consensual in social situations definitely mm. i think the nub of that is sometimes when we're treating somebody else like an object yes right when it we're all treat- comes back to this yeah. yeah treating people as things is how terry pratchett put it like including yeah. yourself is, yeah. is the, the thing not to do yeah 
Yeah. And um, obviously, again, we're steeped in a culture where people are treated as objects a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we treat ourselves as objects, as sort of machines to get things done or to be productive. So it's really, really hard to kind of step out of that and start treating people differently. Mm. But it, we can practice being more present to ourselves and other people mm-hmm. and doing these practices of consent when it comes to greeting people or going yeah. to the pub or in all aspects of our lives yeah absolutely 